So what do we make of the so-called seven mountains mandate? Is this a great biblical idea or is it heretical? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, it is a great joy to be sitting here with you today. Uh, here's what I'm sure about. I'm sure it's today. I'm sure it's now. I'm sure I'm doing the Line of Fire broadcast. I'm not 100% sure about a lot of other things, like what time of the day it is or what day of the week it is. After just getting back from Australia last night, but it is a delight to be with you. The phone number is the same as always, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Anything you want to talk to me about, oh, I might just end up talking about a whole variety of things, especially if I get on a jet lag tangent. But phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH. I do want to speak briefly about the primaries yesterday with Super Tuesday and the sensational and surprising showing by Senator Joe Biden, former Vice President Joe Biden. do want to talk about that. I want to talk briefly about coronavirus, and then I want to focus on the so-called Seven Mountains Mandate, what it really is, what the proponents say it is, what the critics say it is, whether it's biblical, whether it's dangerous. And, and I want to put out a question for you, all right? And you can call in on this as well. I just posted this literally minutes ago on Twitter, immediately before we went live. So it's just got its first hundred-something votes in response. But I asked this question. Do you believe that the world will get better through the advance of the gospel before Jesus comes? Or will it get worse through apostasy? Or will it get better in some places and worse in others? So will it be kind of a combination or parallel extremes? Great light here, great darkness there. God moving powerfully here, Satan moving powerfully in a counterfeit way. Great advance of the gospel, great apostasy. So those are the the choices. And and then I, I gave four choices in the answer. That the world will get better. That the world will get worse that the world will get better and worse, and not sure. Glad to see that so far, only about 10% said not sure. Others were willing to wade in with their own viewpoint. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, so those of you that prayed for me while I was away, thank you. My profound appreciation to my colleague and friend, Dr. Alex McFarlane, for doing three whole days of guest hosting. Alex is terrific. I'm sure you were blessed by the shows. And then... My close dear friend Scott Volk for doing our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday show. I'm sure you were blessed by that as well. But I, I miss being here with you live. Even when we pre-record special broadcasts for you, I miss being here live with you. So, so glad to be back. What happened with my Australia trip is really wild. It ended up, get this, each direction from leaving my house to getting to the final destination, going, and then basically from leaving to get to the final destination coming back it was about 100 hours round trip, about 50 hours in each direction. So more than two days of travel in each direction to get where I was going and to get home. I was there for about three days total. Now, originally, I was supposed to be there, have a rest day when I arrived, and then six days of ministry, and then travel back and get back Monday night. 
First, there were flight cancellations that changed things with the airline that we were using. <clears throat> and because of that, I ended up getting back Tuesday night instead of Monday night. So we lost about 18 hours or so there. And, and then uh, the route <laughs> each way, here's the way it was. I, I flew from Charlotte, North Carolina to JFK, New York City. All right. So that's a short flight, hour and a half, something like that. Then a few hours lay over there. Then about 15 and a half hours from JFK to Hong Kong. This was the route for some reason. Then layover a few hours there. Then a nine-hour flight from Hong Kong to Sydney. Then got in, immediately went to sleep, spent the night there, got up first thing in the morning, early in the morning, flew into Brisbane, arrived in Brisbane, and then started ministering like an hour after I arrived there. Okay. So that was about 52 hours from leaving my house to when I got there to minister. Then coming back, it was Brisbane to Sydney, spend a few hours there. Brisbane to Hong Kong, about, oh, that was, what, about eight and a half, nine hours. Spend six hours in Hong Kong, and I'll get to the coronavirus in a moment because, yeah, I was in Hong Kong. And then uh, Hong Kong to Chicago, that was about 13 and a half hours there. And then catch a plane coming back. My luggage didn't make it on the flight. I had to wait for the next flight for the luggage. In any case... Uh, and then you got like, I don't know, 16 hour time differential. So it's, it was wild. But what happened was that my visa got held up in Australia. They're convinced that they held it up evaluating <clears throat> whether to have me in because of my, my social and, and cultural stance and things like that. The immigration attorney involved and others said the thing was got delayed and held up. In any case, because my visa got held up. I couldn't get in. We couldn't file for the visa until the final flight things were in. That kept changing. So we, we had to cancel the first day, second day, third day. And I thought, I'm staying home. We recorded, came into the studio, recorded uh, two special messages to play in three different cities because it was a different conference in each city. And I thought, all right, this is, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I, I didn't unpack my luggage, but each day I took clothes out of the luggage, you know, and I thought, okay, one day down, another day down. And then he said, just came through in time for Brisbane. These are the biggest meetings and three days of ministry there. So to all my friends that I've met now, new friends in Australia, so blessed by our time together. Sorry I couldn't make it to minister in Sydney, Melbourne, and Auckland, New Zealand, but I hope the messages we sent ahead were a blessing. And thank you again. Those that were there, a beautiful, special conference time together and, and great time ministering at Rama Family Church as well. So thanks for your hospitality and warmth. All right. All right. Come on. Who saw this coming? Who saw not, not simply Joe Biden winning the South Carolina primary on Saturday? That was expected. But who saw him winning the way that he won? And this is before, remember, this is before Pete Buttigieg and, and, or Buttigieg, sorry, I'll get it right one of these days, before Mayor Pete dropped out, before Amy Klobuchar dropped out. Uh, so that was before that, all right? And then Mike Bloomberg just backed out, now dropped out after Super Tuesday. But who saw Biden winning South Carolina as trouncingly as he did? And then... Who saw him cleaning up the way he did on Super Tuesday? Now, now Bernie Sanders is not out of it at all. It's, it's a pitched battle from here on. But, uh, look, I am no political pundit. When I comment on political things, on social things, it's, it's from the, the viewpoint of being a believer, a cultural commentator from a biblical and spiritual point of view. All right? I, I am not a political expert, Okay. I'm, I'm not a political expert at all. So I, I, in, in that regard, um, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at the primaries, everything else, the way you are. You know what I'm saying? I don't have insider information. But even all the insider information people, no one saw it coming, the decisive victories by Biden, one after another. After another. Remember, former Vice President Biden has never won a primary. He had three political campaigns, presidential campaigns. He's never won a primary before. And now, one after another, I mean, he, he wins Texas. Now, Bernie Sanders wins other states, and, and he wins California. But it is it, it's just something just shifted dramatically. Was it was it one that the powers that be control things more than we realize within the political system? All right. So behind the scenes, there's a lot going on that's going to get votes out or encourage. I mean, I don't know what those powers that be would be. But I, I saw the op-ed piece in CNN that said it was the most dramatic, sudden come from behind victory they've ever seen. In other words, you know, they're, they're talking about the resurrection of Joe. I, I thought Biden's lost. I mean, a week ago, I thought, there's no way he's going to win. It's gonna be, it looks like Bernie Sanders is going to make it. Maybe Bloomberg will come in you know, and, and be strong. But I thought, there's no way. And it looked like Bernie Sanders is ready to, to take off running with this thing, with the great grassroots support that he has and the great enthusiasm from from individual donors and young people supporting him. And he seems to have, even though he's even older than Senator Biden, uh, he seems to have even more energy and be more articulate on the campaign trail and all this. So, okay, there's the concern that the, the Democrats said we don't want a radical socialist. And we, you know, you may have a few people getting House seats and things like that, but the nation's not going to vote for him. So there was, pan- it was definitely all-out panic that Sanders could win. And, and there's, there's no way that he's going to beat Trump. And obviously, the whole goal, if you're Democrats, is to get Trump out, right? I mean, that's the historic thing, that whoever's running the other side. If, if you're a Republican, you've got a Democrat incumbent, you want to get the, the Democrat out. That's the whole thing you're running for. So the idea that Bernie Sanders could never beat Trump because his views are too radical, did it come out in the last debate? Did things suddenly change when he, when he stood up for Fidel Castro in certain ways? Yeah, things shifted a little. I, I just didn't see the shift that dramatic. I, I expected it to come in the weeks ahead, an all-out anti-Bernie campaign. I expected to see that. So, so yes, with Super Tuesday, the endorsements of those that dropped out uh, standing with, with Senator Biden, former Vice President Biden, yes, those definitely helped. There's no question about it. But helped to the degree that it helped. It, It's really interesting to see this. Now, Senator Warren still staying in there, but I'd imagine she's going to drop out. She came in third in her home state. I mean, why stay on unless you just want to get more debate time and FaceTime and things like that? But who's going to keep giving to the campaign? I mean, funds do run out, right? So you assume that her dropping out will help. She was not as radical as him, but certainly radical. So is it is it going to end up being Joe Biden against Donald Trump? I mean, look, who who knows what tomorrow holds? Who in the world knows the way everything flip flops? Who expected Donald Trump to get in on the, the eve of the elections and all the polls saying it's not going to happen? And the shock. I mean, you remember watching that the complete shock as he came. in. Yeah, I know some of you were expecting him to get in. Some of you were expecting him to get in years earlier. Uh, you know, a few years earlier, you said he's the man. I understand that. But the political pundits were not expecting it. He gets in. And now Sanders, were they expecting him to take off running the way he did? Probably not. Expected Biden maybe to be the front runner. Biden looks all but out. Now, boom, he's the front runner. And, and what, let's say he gets in 
and a brokered convention or something like that. Will the Sanders supporters rally behind Joe Biden to take down Donald Trump? Will the, the Biden supporters rally behind Sanders if somehow he got in? I mean, those are big question marks there. And then who even knows who's going to be alive and breathing? I'm, I'm, I'm not speculating. It's just you've got who knows for any of us tomorrow what tomorrow holds. And, and you've got now the three main front runners are, are all men in their late 70s. So who in the world knows what to expect? All the more then should we pray for God's will, pray for God's purpose to come to pass, pray for the will of the Father for America, what is best for our nation. Lord, bring it to pass and give us wisdom to vote according to your plan, your will. Can we agree on a prayer like that? All right, we'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends. Great to be with you. 866-34-TRUTH. Literally fresh back from Australia. Got in last night and home for uh, two and a half days. And then, uh, God willing, flying out Friday night to Chicago for some special ministry on Saturday for Illinois Family Institute. If you're anywhere near Chicago, please join us. It's on my itinerary. Uh, And don't just come for me. Professor Robert Gagnon is going to be there. Oh, yeah, what a treat. This will be the first time I think we've ministered side by side, so can't wait to be with him. And then Dawsonville, Georgia, Sunday, Monday. And then I should be joining my good friend Eric Metaxas in New York, I think on Wednesday. And coming to you live and then with different shows ready for you. So can't wait to be connecting with you in different places in the days ahead. 866-34-TRUTH. Okay, I do want to get to this question of will the world get better through the preaching of the gospel? What is the so-called seven mountains mandate? Is it good? Is it bad? I do want to get back to that in a moment. A little bit more about the primaries and then coronavirus. And I'll take a call or two. So Tim... Oklahoma, you're going to be up next just to let you know not to go anywhere. All right. Uh, So I understand that there could be a strong viewpoint that the only one that can possibly take down Donald Trump, this is from a Democrat side or an anti-Trump side, the only one that could possibly take him down would be Joe Biden because he is not a radical socialist as is Bernie Sanders. Now, for those of you who are conservative, and who say, well, I just have problems with Trump. Maybe I'll vote for Biden. If abortion is a major issue to you, just understand that Donald Trump, in terms of stances he's taken, has been the most pro-life president in terms of activism uh, in, our, in our history. And as far as Senator Biden, he stands with all of the radical pro-abortion stances of the Democrat Party. Now, Nancy and I were talking about this earlier today. Uh, someone like Bernie Sanders, someone like Elizabeth Warren, they, they are absolutely radical pro-abortion people. There, there's no question about it. And, and it's, it's a deep, hard conviction for them. My opinion, and Nancy feels the same way, this is just opinion, is that Senator Biden's own views are not as radical, but that he has espoused all of the radical views. He's even moved away some of his views that were slightly less radical to espouse the most radical 
position of the Democrat Party. Either way, you've got someone who say this is where I'm going to stand when it comes to abortion. So if that's your pivotal issue, and for many of us as voters it is, that's the number one issue, then you still have a stark choice if it was Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, Donald Trump versus Elizabeth Warren, Donald Trump versus Mike Bloomberg, Donald Trump versus Bernie Sanders. The choice would be just as radical and different, one very strongly pro-life, and the other, whichever other it was, very, very strongly pro-abortion. So just to throw that out for you. But let's continue to pray, God, your will, God, you know what's best, and then we prayerfully vote accordingly. All right. Uh, One quick note about the coronavirus. So when I got on the plane in JFK, it was Cathay Pacific. So it's it's Chinese based or is it Hong Kong based? Uh, But uh, the announcements come on in Chinese with English captions and things like that. Uh, Many, many Asians on the plane, mainly Chinese from what I could tell. So uh, get on the plane in JFK and all the flight attendants are wearing masks. Now, it's customary if you're in an airport in Seoul or in Tokyo or in Hong Kong, it's customary to see more people wearing face masks than, than you would see at an American airport or a Western airport. And it's, it's not just to protect them from getting infected, but as I understand it, it's their way of protecting others. In other words, if I have a cold or a flu or something like that or some contagious uh, condition, then I'll put the mask on in public for the sake of others. So you'll see more people with masks than you would at one of our airports. But uh, this was everybody uh, on the flight crew and then probably 80-plus percent of the people at the airport wearing masks. And from what I can tell, most of the masks were not effective in terms of the type of mask that would keep the, the, the particles out, you know, which are basically invisible, uh, whatever it, it is that infects you, and the coronavirus being very, very inf- uh, contagious. In any case, you, you felt the weight of it being over there. And w- when you go through security, they put something you know, close to your forehead, and I asked them what was that for, and it was to, t- to check for your temperature to see if you had a fever. So they're, they're checking rigorously, and I got, got a note from a pastor friend in, in Milan, Italy, Milano, as they would say it, and he said, hey, pray for us. We've not been able to use our church uh, building. Uh, we can't use it until December, uh, March 15th. It's been shut down. It's like a two-week period because of concerns of public gatherings, because of outbreak in, in Milan. So you wonder, how serious is this? Now, every year, tens of thousands of people die just from the flu. And it's mainly those who are elderly or who have other physical issues, conditions going on at that time. But uh, I don't know what to make of it. Obviously, I'm not a health expert, and then health experts differ. Is this going to be a pandemic? Is this going to be something that runs rampant worldwide before there's an effective vaccine for it? Uh, is that, is that going to happen? Uh, or is it being overplayed? Sean Boltz, a prophetic brother, said that the Lord visited him and showed him that this is going to end quickly and answer to the prayers of God's people. Uh, I, I wrote an article saying, is this one of these end-time biblical plagues? The plain answer being absolutely not, but it's something to be taken seriously. How seriously? I, look, I am the type that is the eternal optimist. So I, I'm always just expecting the best and believing the best. Now, I, I take care of myself carefully. And while in the Hong Kong airport, I put a mask on, just thought of others do it, and I'll do it. And even in Australia, a colleague got me the one that's supposed to be the, the type, N95, type, something like that, that's the most effective to wear. 
And I got disinfectant, so every time I touch something, you know, just wash my hands and remember not, not to touch the hand railing on the escalators. But, you know, I'm in the airports for hours and hours and hours, on the plane for hours and hours and hours, tens of hours, you know. Uh, so I try to be conscientious, but I, I'm just, I'm not expecting some pandemic, but that's also my mentality. So use wisdom and pray for mercy. That's the obvious. All right, let's go to the phones uh, Tim in Oklahoma, thanks for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, my question is, I have uh, several friends, Christian friends, brothers and sisters, that are cessationists. They don't believe that the spiritual gifts or miracles, signs, and wonders basically lives past the uh, physical lifetime of the physical original 12 disciples and authors of the Bible. Uh, they don't believe that the, you know, specifically gifts of prophecy, words of knowledge exist today. And uh, they also, uh, one in particular, believes that the gift of tongues is only for preaching the gospel to someone in a different language that you don't understand. And right. I'm just looking for, like, the perfect rebuttal for my position, yeah. which is, you know, a continuous Besides my own personal te- uh, spirit-filled testimony, like something biblical, just... Yeah, you, you bet. Rebuttal you bet, them. Tim. Number one, your best rebuttal is the Bible. Plain and simple. Their position, with all respect to them as brothers in the Lord, is 100% unbiblical without an ounce, without a, a, a letter of scriptural support. has 100% zero scriptural support, and it is unhistorical on top of it. So here's where I'd encourage you to start. Uh, listen to the broadcast from Monday, okay? Start there. It's called Sola Scriptura and Therefore Charismatic. It's just very, very simple biblical arguments, looking at things, just starting there. What the Bible actually says. So Sola Scriptura and Therefore Charismatic. That was the show from Monday where we point out that Paul says, eagerly desire prophecy. Uh, don't uh, uh, don't forbid speaking in tongues, and you have mandates, pray for the sick, things like that. And I demonstrate that nowhere in the Bible is that overturned. So it's like I give you directions. Okay, Tim, what, I, what you need to do is, this is a really long uh, highway here. It runs for hundreds of miles. Uh, you go straight until I tell you something different, okay? Well, until right. I tell you something different, you don't start making turns. The same thing the Bible tells us, don't forbid tongues, earnestly seek prophecy, Pray the prayer of faith for the sick. Prayer offered in faith makes the sick person well, etc. Lays all that out and never says anything against it. In fact, it says that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with prophecy and dreams and visions will be for the period of the last days, which is what we're in now. So that's one thing. Go through that. Second thing is, in that show, I also give historical examples where I show, here's the second century, they're talking about miracles, prophecies, healings, resurrections, third century, they're talking about it, fourth century. I'm talking about the major church leaders. I'm talking about from Justin Martyr to Augustine, talking about the miracles. So we have historical proof that these things continued. And then if you want to get into it in greater depth, get my book, Authentic Fire. Authentic Fire. It's a response to John MacArthur's Strange Fire. Authentic Fire. So number one, the Solo Scriptura show from yesterday, uh, from Monday, rather. Uh, and then in that show also, I quote from various church leaders that the gifts continue. So that's the second thing. 
Third thing in my book, Authentic Fire, where I, I have a whole chapter, Solo Scriptura, Therefore Charismatic, where I get into this in even greater, greater depth, okay? And then the fourth thing about tongues is read through 1 Corinthians 14 with them. Paul says, when you speak in a tongue, no one understands, but your spirit speaks mysteries to God. Your own mind doesn't understand. And that uh, you need an interpreter present, meaning someone who has that gift. Someone has the gift of interpretation. You don't need the gift if it's your natural language. And then outside of Acts 2, there is no example anywhere of of uh, preaching the gospel through tongues. That's not the purpose of it in Acts 10. That's not the purpose of it in Acts 19. So it was a one-time event in Acts the second chapter. All right, Tim, I hope that helps. That information will be just what you need to make things perfectly clear. With all respect to our cessationist brothers and sisters in the Lord. Jesus.com It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Somewhere, sometime in the United States. Well, yeah, I I know I'm live. It's, It's live. I know where I am in our studio, but... Having just completed a 100-hour round trip to Australia, for so over four days of travel for three days of ministry there. And where I was the last few days, Brisbane, it's now 6.32 in the, 6.33 in the morning. So where I am, it's 3.33 Wednesday afternoon in Brisbane. It's 6.32 Thursday morning. That's why I say I am somewhere sometime, yeah, trying to catch up and get on normal schedule, but delighted to be with you. Those of you who prayed while I was in, in Australia ministering, thank you so much. It was a wonderful, blessed time with some wonderful believers there. And thanks again to Dr. McFarland for hosting three whole days for me in the midst of his busy schedule, and Scott Volk taking a day. Thanks, gentlemen, so much. All right. The Seven Mountain Mandate. What is it? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it biblical? Or is it heretical? You say, okay, what exactly is the Seven Mountain Mandate? Let's go to one website that presents it in a positive way, generals.org. And it speaks of the, uh, the seven mountains of societal influence. And according to the Generals International website, in 1975, Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade, and Lauren Cunningham, founder of Youth with a Mission, developed a God-given world-changing strategy. Their mandate bring godly change to a nation by reaching its seven spheres or mountains of societal influence. They concluded that in order to truly transform any nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ, these seven facets of society must be reached. Religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. In other words, Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham, two of the most respected missions outreach leaders of of this generation, last generation, that they said if you're really going to make an impact on a country, you can't just win individuals to the Lord, but you also have to seek to impact all of these other areas. Now, on a common sense level, you say, well, yeah, that, that, that makes good sense. In other words, should, should we have Christian influence in the schools or should we just give the schools over to the world? Should we have Christian influence in the media or should we just give the media over to the world? 
Should we have Christian influence in the government or should we just give the government over to the world? It, it, it absolutely makes sense. So, yeah, common sense, you could say that sounds right. Now, others, we're going to give you some negative assessments in a moment. Uh, here's what Os Hillman has to say. Uh, he recounts this as well. And Os Hillman is on his website is talking about this, reclaiming the seven mountains of culture in the first part of the article. Uh, He says, in 1975, Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade, and Lauren Cunningham, founder of Youth with a Mission, had lunch together in Colorado. So here's a further detail. God simultaneously gave each of them a message to give to the other. About a month later, the Lord showed Francis Schaeffer the same thing. So in other words, according to this report, these were things that were dropped in their hearts from the Lord. All right? And uh, as Lauren Cunningham explains it, He says, look, uh, we can be missionaries. Let's go. Let's impact, infiltrate these seven areas of society. We can be missionaries where the word missionary means one cent and the one cent of Jesus. If you're a lawyer in a legal office, you are sent of God. So you're, in other words, a missionary there. You're sent to be his missionary if you're in Hollywood or you're working as a dentist or you work as a doctor. Everything you do, you can do for the glory of God. Uh, You may be in the area of food services. The Bible says in Zechariah 14, 20, that even the cooking pots will be called holy to the Lord. Obviously, a millennial picture. That's food services. But in other words, everything gets transformed. Or transportation. Everything from a bus driver to an airplane pilot or to a car dealer, whatever it is, uh, it says even the veils of horses will be called holy to the Lord. So, in other words, if the end goal, the end result of of the preaching of the gospel and the coming of the kingdom of God, however that works out, is that the whole world will be made holy to the Lord. Shouldn't we work towards that in the here and now? And and why just figure, okay, I'm in this world and I'm going to get as many people, quote, saved as possible, but the saved will never have an impact. I mean, aren't we grieved over a lot of the direction in America? And don't we know that God's ways are better? That if we can set a good example in marriage and family, that if we can get godly professors and godly teachers, it'll be for the betterment of society. That if we can get godly police officers and godly lawyers and and godly newscasters and godly producers and directors and godly sports figures to be good examples, that in all these different ways we can serve and make a positive impact, shouldn't we do that? And then won't that in turn make it easier to spread the gospel to others. In other words, if the world system around us is not so hostile, then won't it be easier for us to share the gospel more readily and and to make disciples? And then as disciples, we're salt and we're light, and therefore we live differently, right? Why not? So that's, that's one view, one perspective. Now, let me give you the negative assessment. Uh, The Got Questions website is a wonderful place to go with tremendous information on many, many biblical questions. It's not good on charismatic issues, okay? It's definitely anti-charismatic, in my view, lacking there. But in many other ways, it's a terrific website. It's go-to website in many ways, and in others, I'd have cautions. Okay, so Got Questions website, what is the Seven Mountain Mandate, and is it biblical? So here's the description they offer. The Seven Mountain Mandate, or the Seven Mountain Prophecy, as an anti-biblical and damaging movement that has gained a following in some charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Those who follow the Seven Mountain Mandate believe that, in order for Christ to return to earth, the church must take control of the seven major spheres of influence in society for the glory of Christ 
Once the world has been made subject to the kingdom of God, Jesus will return and rule the world. So again, the seven mountains are education, religion, family, business, government, slash military, art, slash entertainment, and media. And according to Os Hillman and others, Bill Bright, Lauren Cunningham got this at the same time to share with one another. And then not long after, Francis Schaeffer, the great philosopher and prophetic voice a couple generations back, uh, that, that he got the same burden and vision. Okay, so is it, is it a takeover? Is it the church must take over these realms and Christianize them before Jesus can return? That would be a very different view, and obviously one that you would call dangerous in certain ways. Let's look at some other websites that present this in a critical way, that are hostile, and that allege this is part of the so-called NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, a complete takeover. Uh, Here's a website, Deception Bites, B-Y-T-E-S, and it speaks of a strong delusion, the New Apostolic Reformation. Again, I've commented on this, what's accurately reported about the so-called NAR and what's a myth. But according to this, they want power, dominion, and total control. They truly believe that the world is awaiting fulfillment of a takeover by a militant church, Joel's army, that will arise, govern, and dominate the world politically, world politically and spiritually. This is a highly organized group with a global agenda. It has been well thought out, well strategized, and will be implemented with military precision. The grid is in place. Our future is planned. Okay, number one, Whoever does hold to that, whoever is trying to do that, I categorically reject it as unbiblical. I 100% reject it and believe that view, as just represented there, is very dangerous. Let me say it again. I categorically reject it wholeheartedly. I reject it biblically and practically. It is absolutely wrong and absolutely false and absolutely misguided. That being said... I don't know a single leader that wants to do that. They may be out there, but I don't know a single one. And if you say, Brown, you know them, well, then they've never shared that with me. It's never come up in a single conversation or prayer meeting or or a conference setting or anything. The only ones I've heard presented like that are the critics. You know, it's just like when the the left-wing, radical left media presents our conservative Christian views as if our whole goal is to take over the whole world and do it forcibly, and, and that we're going to do it now under Trump as our, as our savior figure. You know, that's their perception. Or the far-right media mis, misperceiving and misrepresenting what someone on the left is doing. So if anyone holds to that, yeah, I categorically reject that. I just don't know anyone who does. Here, let's look at one more example of a negative assessment. Um, this is, uh, let's see. Which blog on patheist.com uh, for internal use only? Is that the name of it? I guess. For infernal use only. So, sorry. Uh, Dominionism in America, Part 5, the Seven Mountains Mandate. All right? So there's another example that this is part of the dominionist movement. All right, so what are we to make of this? Let's, let's just step back and assess. If you simply mean the goal is to be good witnesses in every area of society, but to do it consciously and consci- uh, conscientiously. So in other words, intentionally and, and with, with planning, all right, here's how we can impact all the places where we work and live through the gospel. Which of course we should want to do that. We're just going to sit around and complain about what's wrong, and the world is bad, terrible, without seeking to better it, 
there's so much hunger out there. Well, let's try to help feed the, the hungry. Man, there's so much poverty. Well, what can we do to help alleviate that? Man, the schools are corrupt. Okay, what can we do to help? Well, the political system's messed up. Okay, what can we do to help? But we do it primarily through preaching the gospel and living as disciples. I would think we'd all embrace that. Even if the world gets worse, we're still going to shine like light in the midst of it and do our part. So if it's about being missionaries in an intentional way in each sphere of society, great. If you believe that through the preaching of the gospel, the whole world will become Christian before Jesus returns, well, that was the position of Jonathan Edwards. That was the position of Charles Finney. And they believe that all the institutions of the world would ultimately become Christian, not by a takeover, but by the advance of the gospel. That's called postmillennialism. All right? So that view, although it's not my own view, there's nothing heretical about that. All right? Great Christian leaders through the centuries have held to that view. It's gone down in popularity in the 20th century with the two world wars. It's reviving a little bit now. But the idea that the world's getting better and better through the preaching of the gospel, many have looked at that and said, that's not the case. You know, look at the crises in the world surrounding us, and we don't really see that in Scripture. I don't see it in Scripture either. But the idea that through the preaching of the gospel, the whole world will become Christian, after which Jesus will return, is called postmillennialism. I don't hold to that, but it's not heretical, all right? The idea that the church will somehow take over, that there will be an aggressive takeover, and it's part of some global Christian agenda. First, it's, it's not a global organized Christian agenda, first thing. But secondly, wherever it exists, if it does exist, I categorically reject that view. We're going to serve and through serving have an influence, not forcibly take over. God forbid. IM.org. It's the line of fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us today on the line of fire. Michael Brown, so glad to be back home for a few days after a very intense uh, travel time back and forth to Australia. Uh, thanks for praying, and trust me, I miss being live on the radio with you very, very much. I, it's one of my great joys. If I could just be live hours every day talking to you, I, I would do it. So thank you for praying, standing with us, and can't wait to be digging in uh, this week and next with lots of special broadcasts and your calls, and even there are some special guests as well. And, and Well, tell you what, I, I want to come to a, a finance thing in a moment as I think about the monies that are given to political candidates. I want to revisit that in a moment. But I'm in the midst of a poll, in the midst of a poll in Twitter, and I posted right before radio started, so we've got less than an hour of responses, so just the first few hundred votes in so far. Uh, but I want to read this to you, give you the results, and then... Uh, give you an interesting comment from my friend Dr. James White. I asked, do you believe that the world will get better through the advance of the gospel before Jesus comes? Or will it get worse through apostasy? Will it get better in some places and worse in others? So as of this moment, first 318 votes, only 9.4%, so less than 1 in 10, said better. Those who said not sure 
less than 10% there, 8.2. So it's an even lower number there. So most had, a, had an opinion. Over 90% had an opinion. But 39.9, so roughly 4 out of 10 said it's going to get worse. It's just blanket, it's going to get worse. However, 42.5%, so slightly better than 4 in 10, said better and worse. Now, that's my own view. That's my own personal view, that God's going to move amazingly and continue to move amazingly around the world. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, that there's going to be great lawlessness, rebellion, apostasy. So my views would be better and worse. Now, now here's, here's what's interesting. Dr. White uh, posted this question here, all right? And he said, how would any of us have answered this question July 10th, 1349, living almost anywhere in Europe? All right, so when did Jan Hus live? All right, one of the early great reformers. Uh, he was, let's see, 1369 to 1415. So James's question, 1349. All right, so who was born July 10th, 1349? Or what major event happened there? James's point is, how did the world look? That The world has, in many ways, become much, much more Christian, all right? Uh, the world has has uh, grown in terms of numbers of believers. Yes, a lot of evil wickedness and terrible suffering all over the planet. Yes, we understand that. And and the there's no shortage of evil players in the world today. There's no shortage of evil. On the other hand, through the spread of the gospel, large parts of the world that were entirely Muslim or animist or caught up in other false religion have, have turned to the Lord. Yes, some of it needs to go deeper, some of it's superficial, but there's a lot of amazing stuff happening, more Christian growth in the last 50 years than any time in church history before. If you go to the last 50 years and combine century after century after century after century, we've seen far more growth, far more of the Bible getting out to the world. All right, so if you ask this question hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there might have been the perception, yeah, it's just getting worse. It's so dark. And then you think, what's happened since then? How the gospel spread? Yeah, maybe many ways America has gotten much worse than it was in the past. And many ways Europe has gotten much worse. But then there was a time before the gospel spread through Europe or before the gospel was brought to America when things were even worse in those respects. You know, Europe today is, is in bad shape spiritually, but it was in even worse shape before the gospel came. Now, you might say it's worse because this is post-Christian. We can debate that. But the point of the matter is, Africa is in much better shape now, spiritually, than it was 100 years ago. Asia is in much better shape now than it was 100 years ago, spiritually speaking. Same with Latin America. Uh, and, and in different parts of the Muslim world, even though Islam is growing rapidly and has grown exponentially in the last 100 years, uh, the fact is that the gospel is growing powerfully in the midst of Islam. So it's, it's an interesting question in terms of why we expect the world to get better or worse. One view is the Great Commission will succeed and we will make disciples of the nations so that the nations will be primarily Christian or entirely. Uh, that there's a multitude that no one can number that's spoken of as a saved, redeemed in the book of Revelation. Elsewhere, Revelation speaks of an army of 200 million people. So if we can count to 200 million to say a multitude no one could number, obviously 
God knows the exact number, but that's the say a whole lot more than 200 million people. It's billions and billions and billions, right? Uh, and and then you could say, well, the the little bit of leaven that that is put in in dough, and then it, it you know just everything leaven. You say, well, no, that's a picture of wickedness spreading through the world because leaven's always negative. You could say it's normally negative, but here in the parable of Jesus with the 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 four cakes. Uh, you know, mixed with leaven and how they grow and grow and grow, that that's a picture of the spread of the gospel, spread of the kingdom, all right? So there's one view that says, no, the, the gospel will succeed in going throughout the entire world, and it will either get better and better until Jesus comes, or will actually usher in a glorious reign through the gospel, where the gospel fully succeeds, and the whole world is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Now, that's not my own view. I'm not a post-millennialist, but there are Christians who've held to this. Here, uh, Jonathan Edwards. Let me grab this. The Christian in, uh, History Institute website. I, I don't have this to put up on the screen for you for those watching. But Jonathan Edwards lived 1703-1758. Um, here's, here's what he expected. Edwards envisioned the millennium as the church's triumphant state, a time of Sabbath rest and peace. He expected it to be a time of great advanced knowledge with a divine when neither divine nor human learning shall be confined and imprisoned within only two or three nations of Europe, but shall be diffused all over the world. He looked forward to a time of great holiness when visible wickedness shall be suppressed everywhere and true holiness shall become general, though not universal, and a time of great prosperity. He regarded Constantine's era a type of the greater reality to come. So he also expected the millennium to be a time when true religion would be held in great esteem and saints would rule on all fronts. How did he expect it to happen? Quote, this is a work that will be accomplished by means, by the preaching of the gospel and the use of the ordinary means of grace and shows shall be gradually brought to pass and God's spirit shall be gloriously poured out for the wonderful revival and propagation of religion. Charles Finney, 1792-1875, Charles uh, Finney allegedly said at one point, if the church will do her duty, the millennium may come in this country in three years. And uh, as ex- explained, this led in the years before the Civil War to unprecedented evangelical, social, and religious reform, temperance, anti-slavery, peace, women's rights, education, as well as dramatic expansion in home and foreign mission work. So because Finney and others had this vision that the, the church can transform society, they gave themselves to it through the preaching of the gospel, coupled with good works. So I am absolutely all for doing that through the preaching of the gospel coupled with good works to do the very best we can to bring about the maximum change here. While we're here, let's do good, right? While we're here, let's be a blessing. While we're here, let's serve. On the other hand, as I read scripture, no, I don't see everything getting worse. I understand how you can read that and read the book of Revelation, other select verses that it's all going downhill and getting worse. And you can look around in our society today and think that's the case. Look at Europe and think that's the case. So I understand that viewpoint. And many who hold to dispensational theology or amillennial views believe that everything's going to get worse and darker. Not everyone in those camps does, but many do. I understand where you're coming from scripturally as well. But as I understand it, and, and again, we, we see through a glass darkly in terms of the future and working all this out. As I understand it, we're going to have parallel extremes on the earth. We're going to have great light. We're going to have great darkness. We're going to have great outpouring. We're going to have great apostasy. You say, how can that be? Well, right now, it's bright in one part of the world and dark in another, right? 
uh, there are words about arise and shine, your light is come, you know, to Israel, that, that gross darkness will cover the earth, but God's light will, will arise upon Israel. So you can have situations like that. You know, the all-out battle where the, the righteous are righteous and the wicked are wicked. And I see Jesus speaking about the harvest is the end of the age. The harvest is the end of the age. So and you're going to have a great catch of fish, some good, some bad. That the outpouring of the Spirit is prophesied until the end of the age, and also that evil people will become more evil, and that the Antichrist will rise up and deceive much of the world. So my own view is better and worse, and that's so far the majority response on Twitter. But I think it's a really good question to say, okay, let's go back in history and ask in the late 1700s, the early 1700s, what would our perception have been? The year 1000, what would our perception have been? Certainly there's been massive gospel growth in the last thousand years. and Hundreds and hundreds of millions, billions have actually come to know the Lord. That's great progress. Yet in other ways, the wars wickedness, I mean, being able to use the internet to export the worst of, of our nature and stuff, things got much worse. Here's what we do know. What we know for sure is we're called to live holy lives before the Lord and to honor him and glorify him, regardless of what happens in the world around us. We are called to do good. We know that for sure. We are called to shine like lights in dark places. We are called to pray for the coming of God's kingdom. And we are called to preach the gospel win the lost, and make disciples. That much we know. So how about this? Let the future take care of itself as we live for God today. Back with you tomorrow, friends. Change the world.